Let's move on to the big news coming out of Italy. Um, Milan derby on the weekend. It was the game that was going to either end the title race or resurrect it. And it did the latter. I mean, an, a crazy final 20 minutes of that game. Uh, Inter looked like they were cruising. 1-0 up after Ivan Perisic put him ahead. Simone Inzaghi, the brother of Pippo, decided he was not going to push for a second. He was going to sit back, make a lot of defensive changes, brought on the likes of Di Marco and Damian and look to try and, you know, clog things up and sit back, which is very unlike Inter. You know, mm. they say, don't always change. You know, if it's working, why change it? You know, yeah, and if it ain't broke. You know? Yeah, if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Um, and Milan, we know them. Their their attitude under Stefano Pioli is has been just is a sensational attitude. Never say die. They're always pushing. They're never out of a game, and they prove that they hadn't created a hell of a lot before those ten minutes. Olivier Giroud barely touched the ball, but with two of his touches, as uh, Manuel, the co-commentator, said on Being Sports on the weekend after his second goal, he's had four touches, but two of them have landed in goals. I don't know if that was an accurate assessment. I think he had more than four touches, but two amazing... Well, I mean, the first goal, right positioning, but the second goal, the touch to wrong foot to right and create enough space for him to whip around on his left foot and curl the ball past Sandanovic was vintage Olivier Giroud to say the least. And as a result, Milan are now back in the title race, a point behind Inter. Napoli winning on the weekend gets them back within a point of Inter. Obviously, Inter have that game in hand, but boy, it's going to make for a fun few months in Serie A. You mentioned Inter being the negative ones in this match. They're not the team that started Franchesi as As a a pressing number 10 to try and stop Marcelo Brozovic playing. (laughs) Yes. Yes, and it seemed like... This has been the case a few times with Stefano Pioli. For a, for a coach that likes to play on the front foot, sometimes he comes out with very conservative tactics in big games. And the Kessie one didn't surprise me one little bit. Uh, for a bit of context, obviously, Marcelo Brozovic is arguably the best defensive midfielder in the world, but I don't think he required a man-marking job in that game. Um, Kessie played as a 10 prior to AFCON against Empoli and scored a double. Obviously, against Empoli, he's going to be afforded a lot more space, a lot more opportunities inside the box. And Kessie's a pretty good finisher. That's one thing that's a real underrated trait of his. But Brahim Diaz being out of form, I saw the reasoning why, but it failed miserably in that kind of game. Because when Milan were breaking on the counterattack, when you had Kessie and Olivier Giroud through the center, it was very slow. There was no movement, bar Rafael Leal on the left-hand side. And then they made the change. They brought Brahim Diaz on and... Just like that, Milan were looking more lethal going forward and the game completely changed. So, Kessier came off in what minute was it, roughly? Around the hour mark. It was before the hour mark. Okay. So, the game did shift at that point, but up until the 75th minute, up until the Giroud goal, which is basically a huge chunk of Mm. Milan's XG for that match, they were on 0.4 expected goals. So they were playing it pretty cagey up until that point, Mm. even though they were a goal down before the first, you know, first half ended. So I think it was Inter here who shot themselves in the foot, really. Yeah. Especially the equalizing goal. I mean, the winner, you can say whatever, but the equalizing goal, the way that Alexis Sanchez gave the ball away there and the positioning of his teammates, just totally suicidal. Like football's a team game and there's a reason you have – Midfield lines, defensive lines, and attacking lines. They had not three lines, but two yeah. in that in that phase of play. And even you know they, they had four players running blindly ahead of the ball, and uh, when Sanchez wasn't even facing forwards, no mm. one offering laterally for him. Yeah. 
and then just a line of defenders and not even a straight line, a staggered, staggered squiggly line yeah. that had no hope of even playing an offside trap. Yeah. And there was about 30 to 40 metres in between those two neat lines of uh, squiggly lines of players. And, you know, you just got to watch it, but it just looks shambolic the way the ball is turned over there and the situation that Inter find themselves in. Even the chasing back of the forward players looks very lethargic and half-hearted and the defenders don't organize. No one steps up. It's an absolute disaster. So Inter shot themselves in the foot in this game. They could have ridden Mm. this out and instead they coughed it up late and they only have themselves to blame. Well, once they gave Milan a sniff, once that equalizer happened, there was no turning back really. And it just seemed like the energy in the sunset had changed. Um, The Milan fans... Um, to the right of screen where Milan scored both goals really started to rent. The noise started to lift and you felt that the players really fed off that. Um, you know, Giroud, we talk about the him bustling Alexis Sanchez out of the way. That looked like straight out of the training ground at Arsenal back in the day. Two former teammates. Giroud with the, a hip and shoulder, won the ball back. And to be honest, it looked like Milan were going to fluff that play up because Diaz had Junior Messias to his right. He ignored it, scuffed his shot. And Giroud was in the right place at the right time to turn the ball home. Um, but to give Milan credit, I mean, this in the past, I've probably said this that many times during this Pioli period. These are the games Milan used to lose just constantly in the period between them making the Champions League in 2014 and the period before last season. They would cough these games up. Um, they'd go behind, you know, the heads would drop. They'd never find a way back. Under Pioli, you can just tell the attitude, even in games that they've lost, they are always in the game. They are always pushing. They are always, you know, fighting. They're a confidence team. Once one goes in, you just think, when are the next one or two coming? And, you know, i got to say, before Giroud scored those goals, despite the fact Milan didn't have Zlatan, didn't have Rebic, I thought he was going to get benched. I, mm-hmm. I, he barely in, involved himself in the game whatsoever, which I still think, despite him scoring both goals... He's not Milan's answer up top as much as he has that quality to score those two goals. Um, it was just, you know, right place, right time. And you've got to give credit, you know, to the players behind it because the likes of Diaz coming on and having that big half now is so big for his confidence, you know, coming off long COVID after the start of the season he had. And it was really disappointing to see his drop off. But re- that game, he looked reinvigorated. It looks like that international break kind of did him well you know them not playing mm. having that week off him coming off the bench maybe might actually be the answer coming up against tighter legs um as what much is it as- about sorry to interrupt but what is it about Olivier Giroud that no big club is willing to stick with him as their first choice number nine everyone's always looking elsewhere for a slight upgrade but he always delivers you know I he mean, said it was right place right time but Olivier Giroud has made a career out of being in the right yeah, place at the right time it's an interesting one because and his just, per 90 goal numbers are sensational they are sensational but the way Milan want to play it doesn't suit Milan want to press yeah, and okay. if Milan want to press you can't have a guy like Olivier Giroud leading that press you want Ante Rebic lead that press mm. and I know that Pioli has lived and died by Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I'm going to say the corpse of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, because despite the fact he's their top scorer, he's, you can tell now, like, the, the, the knees are clicking, you know. It's, like it's the, a bit weekend at Zlatan's. Yeah, it's, he's struggling a little bit. Like, he's got the quality to play 20 minutes, half an hour, and really, you know, and pop up at the right time, but you don't want to be banking him in every week. But, you know, I've got to give Giroud credit. You know, he found himself in that right area. The way he took that goal was masterful. Um... I, I honestly just couldn't the, – the, you can't teach that, you know, as a number nine. That is just 
it's something you don't see often. The, well, the, the ability to create your own space as a striker when you make those sort of touches. Because most strikers in that, in, when they receive the ball like that, would probably hold the ball up. Or, let's you know, let's describe the goal it. for the people well, who haven't seen you it. Know, so you see the ball come through. going to pull it up right here. So you see Calabria here. Plays it through. Giroud's made the run into the box. He's got De Vrij behind him. Play it, Josh. Takes his touch. Now, in that situation, he could have touched it with his left facing away and could have held it up, waited for whether it was Messias. I think that's Teo Hernandez there. Yeah, he's got, or, a, he's got a player alongside him in the box. He's sort of level yeah. with the penalty spot to the right-hand side of the goal, almost yeah. level with... Uh, if you were drew, to draw a line from the left-hand side of the six-yard box to the penalty spot of the goalkeeper's left, then yeah. he would be... On the corner there. What he see, and in that situation, he had three into defenders, and then he had four, you know, he saw the four defenders trailing on the edge of the area, no one else presenting. The smarts to not hold the ball up and, you know, potentially lay it off, but take it on yourself by wrong-footing De Vrij, like just Ronaldo mm. chopping the ball away from him so he goes the other way. And then whip it around Handanovic. I mean, it's a Cruyff it's, turn. It's, it's not a Ronaldo chop, but, you uh, know. I'll... Cruyff turn. Okay, sorry. That just shows my millennial in me. <laughs> that is a brilliant finish. And even if that was safe, the way that he still created that space is insane. Because um, he, he, he knows what he's about to do before he gets the yes, ball. Yes, absolutely. He's leading, he's leading the defender away from goal and then chopping the ball on the turn, on the Cruyff turn. Yeah. So he, on what, the inside of him. So what you're seeing is, if for those watching at home, what you're seeing is there is De Vrij is obviously running away from the ball and in any other situation, in most situations, your number one instinct is a strike. Even just receiving the ball in any phase. We've all been there as players. You always think to touch the ball with where it's coming and stand still there. And you're keep, waiting for keep someone. Keep the ball away yeah, from the defender. Yeah, we've been taught, you know, keep the ball away, look for an option, not take that on. That is, if you mess that up and you lose possession and you don't play the ball, that is a coach killer. Like, the coach will be in your ear. Tearing your hair out. But not many players have the ability to do that. You don't see that often, and only the best number nines can do that. And despite, as I mentioned, Giroud is not the long-term answer, he's probably not the answer for this season when Milan are at full strength. That you can't teach, and only a few strikers in this world can do that. And we've seen Giroud do that throughout his entire career. He scored an identical goal for Arsenal against Liverpool at Anfield years ago, just like that. And, you know, he's done some ridiculous stuff in his time. And I know, Josh, you're about to pull up another moment, yeah, which so reminds you of as this, well. This instantly gave me flashbacks. It's a mirror image. It's a reverse. Juru chopped it with his left foot and then turned and swung with his left. It's the right foot of debutante for Manchester United in 2009, Aston Villa 2, Manchester United 2, Federico Marqueda comes yeah. off the bench. And he loses the ball, Giggs from outside the box, spots him. He's in a very similar position, a little bit Cruyff further turn. out than Giroud. Wrong foots the defender and with the Cruyff turn. First time. Spins, <laughs> and an even better finish. So I'm just saying that's not a Cruyff turn, it's not a Ronaldo chop. No, that, is, Ma- that is a Makeda. That's a Makeda <laughs> manoeuvre. That's, that's brilliant. And we can say that that's Federico Makeda's signature move because he never did anything else <laughs> in a top-level match. Is so. Makeda one of the is – he, is he the greatest one-hit wonder? I mean, to be honest, he hasn't actually faded into total obscurity. Obviously, he hasn't done anything in Serie A no. or the Premier League since you know he since he had that burst and since he scored a couple of goals for Manchester United in that title run. Uh, but for Panathinaikos in Greece, he's a regular goal scorer and has made over a hundred appearances. Wow! So you know he's found a home in Greece in the last four years, and and well done to him. I mean, you know, it, it's not. 
everyone's destiny to be a so top how long Premier until, League striker. So and... how long until Western United sign him? <laughs> <laughs> I would actually love that. You know what? For the for the value, and I think as well, just this is a, a shout out to Makeda's management, if you're listening, if potentially <laughs> listening. I would love, like, he would have a fantastic story. I think his story just from playing under Sir Alex and how, you know, he's been able to still forge a career despite being labelled as a flop has been unbelievable. And I'd love to hear all of that. Because imagine, like, I was so young back then. I think I was maybe 11 years old. But I even remember the hype. Mm. People say, this guy is going to be the future of Manchester United, the future of Italy. There was so much hype around this guy. He never then went on to play for Italy. Maybe played a handful of games for Manchester United. But... There's a good story there with Federico Makeda. And, you know, if his agent is washing, we're honoured because it's Mino Raiola. So. Yeah, well, Mino, <laughs> if you're listening, hey, we would love to have him on F&R. So, um, yeah, yeah, the feel is but out we're there. The request that, is there. We're naming that manoeuvre the Makeda. It's done with, yeah. but Giroud, well done on emulating yeah. one of the greats. Anyways, uh, moving on to another big game in Serie A this morning. Uh, Juve's new big two debut, Dusan Vlaovic and Denis Zakaria. They both scored on debut. It gave me memories of when Milan wheeled out Christoph Piotek and Lucas Paketar and they dominated on debut. But if you could actually see the goal through the t- intense fog in Turin, Dusan Vlaovic took his goal brilliantly, um, playing up front in a diamond with Paolo Dybala and Alvaro Morata, which actually looked really damn good. Mm. Dare I say it? I think Allegri has found a way to fit all three in the team. I was a skeptic in thinking, you know, one has to go, but it worked. And I mean, four three one two is Allegri's. You know, that's the formation he mm. used at Milan. You know, when he burst onto the scene, he used it at Juve in his first stint. I think he's onto something here. He's gotten the defense right over the past couple of weeks, which wasn't looking great, especially centrally. Um, you know, he's. Got Matty Delete backed. He's got him forging a good partnership with Chiellini. In midfield, they are looking better without looking spectacular. I mean, Aaron Ramsey's gone, which it pains me that he never got to the level which I was hoping for at Juventus. But is a good signing. And he scored a nice goal as well, bursting off the right mm. side of midfield. And maybe that midfield three of Artur and Rabiot, I can't believe Rabiot is still in the Juventus starting lineup might actually work for him. They're into fourth now, and it's looking very likely that they're set to push ahead, and I don't think they're going to get into the title race. But, hey, this this could be a fun end to the season for Juve. Well, they've got a good mix of attributes in there. I'm not a fan of, of Adrian Rabio either, but the one thing yeah. he is is an above-average dribbler yeah. in tight spaces. Uh, I think he's pretty selfish. I don't think he works that hard. I think no. his passing range and his... Awareness of players around him is a bit limited, but a bit like your sort of Kovacic-style players. You yeah. play them on the left, left-hand left side of a diamond and you just get them to basically dribble and advance the ball that way. And you've got players offering for the ball on the inside, like uh, Dybala and mm. Artur and an overlapping fullback on the other side. Maybe that's enough structure for them to, to thrive and have enough obvious passing options to get, have that direction not have to make mm. too many decisions himself, I guess. Um I I like that blend of the sort of deep-lying playmaker who likes to receive and dictate the tempo in Artur, the dribbler, and then the energy glue guy mm. in, in Zachariah who's yeah. just a box-to-box machine yeah. from the Bundesliga. Uh, and they love those sorts of players in the <laughs> Bundesliga and they're coming at a premium to other leagues now. 
Uh, and as you say, the front three, a good blend of creativity, the movement of Murata, and just the raw power and finishing ability of Lavovic. But even having said that, his finish taking the ball on the run. It was a sloppy goal, in fairness. It was yeah, a, but he a did pretty, well. pretty messy, uh, well, it was a terrible pitch and foggy day. Yeah. Um, but great second ball win from uh, Dybala and first time ball over the top. Yeah. And he takes that chip at full stretch on the run. No second thoughts about it. Just he's a natural finisher and that's what he brings to his side. And I think that might cover for the flaws in Murata's game and that he's so good at creating chances, but he's often so, so good poor at, at finishing them. Yeah. But he gets you know, he's always, he always, always flushing, fluffing his lines in front of goal, Murata, and having someone along, alongside him who's a true poacher, who's a true finisher in Vlaovic. I mean, Juve are looking pretty scary well, now. what you're going to have is, as you said, you're going to have Vlaovic as sort of the focal point, you know, the big enforcer, the big body up there, and Morata being sort of, you know, creating that space. He's such a smart and intelligent player to play alongside him, and there were moments in that game where you could see it, just the synergy already within weeks, within days, how they've been able to sort of mesh already. And Dybala, who just has to feast on the carcass as, you know, the second ball machine, creative whiz, just going to buzz around the feet of them two and going to give them service all day. It looks like it's going to be a really exciting front three. But also, this works because Juve losing Chiesa for the rest of the season and having flaws out wide, it masks that. They don't have to start Bernadeschi anymore. They don't have to push, you know, Alexandro or Decidio playing as, you know, wingbacks or Danilo in that sense or play Rabio out wide, which we saw it didn't work, or Weston McKenney for, you know, for God's sake. They can actually now go with those three and then just work out, all right, now we just need to find the best mix in midfield. I think that those three might be the way forward. I thought Artur was really underutilized in that first period of time. I thought, especially this season. He was completely frozen out for months, and now suddenly he's done something to redeem himself. Yeah, well, if Benton could have now gone, it it opens up for him. Mm. So I think that this is a good opportunity for him because it looked like he was gone. Yeah, it was. It's been a crazy turnaround for Artur. I mean, remember when he was signed, he was basically swapped for Miralem Pjanic, and it was essentially interesting deal. A strange financial maneuver in order to balance the FFP books for both clubs, mm. because you uh, take an incoming transfer fee and you apply it straight to your accounts. But what clubs do with uh, player signings is because they view players as assets and not one-off purchases. They actually divide the player's transfer fee year by year over the course of the contract they've signed. So if you sign for someone for 100 million euros and you sign them for a five-year contract, you can actually say 20 million, 20 million, 20 million installments installments over the five years on your books in terms of financial fair play. So even though you're actually, you know, paying that money up front, which is Mm. a bizarre thing creative accounting work, yeah. measure and you know it doesn't really reflect well on the game the fact that Artur and Miralem Pjanic basically swapped clubs for a comparable fee you know there was only about 10 or 20 million difference between the two mm. two players and they're very similar players really yeah um only for you know the purposes of creative accounting but you know having said that he's now playing a key role and it's taken some time but he's he's made his mark on the first team and I, I think Juve as you say it was only Verona. It was only Hellas Verona. Let's not get too hey, carried been, away. they've been all right this season. They they've may have right. found a balance. Yeah. The one thing I will say about the diamond is does it work in Europe? Because Serie A teams yeah. play a lot narrower 
than a lot of other teams yep. in Europe, particularly the Spanish sides, the English sides tend to play without and out wingers more mm. and overlapping fullbacks. And if you're playing a diamond, you can get overloaded in wide areas. Whereas in Serie A, you play these narrow formations against teams you that are all playing you know, yeah. 4 3 one, two, or 3-5-2. You've only got basically two, two players out wide mm. in each team. So that that's one kind of mismatch I think that maybe has pointed to Allegri's yeah. lack of success in, in Europe and haven't been able Absolutely. to get over the hump. This this happened, you know, I remember back in the day when he was, you know, first at Milan, those first two seasons when they got outplayed by Tottenham. You know, literally it was that same thing. The goal came from those areas and against Barcelona, they struggled in those areas as well. Um, those games against Villarreal are going to be an intriguing watch. I mean, Villarreal haven't, you know, set the house on fire this season, but we know what Unai Emery's like and he's going to have something planned for that game. So that's going to be an intriguing watch in itself. Um, just before we go to a break, in terms of some of the other big results, because we'll get to AFCON in just a sec, um, Atalanta dropping points on the weekend. 2-1 loss against Cagliari last night. Um, Napoli 2-0 win against Venezia. Victor Osterman back on the score sheet. Yes. Great to see. He's wearing the Batman mask at the moment to, to um, help his facial injury. So it's great to see him back out there. If other leagues around the around you've been keeping your eye on in League One, PSG 5, Lille 1, they're steamrolling to to the league on title. No surprises there. Dortmund to Leverkusen five. So Dortmund now are nine points behind Bayern Munich. And we said it two weeks ago. It was a matter of when, not if Bayern would eventually kick away in that one too. So it's looking like Serie A is the only title race that is still alive right now. So no city are basically home in the Premier mm. League as well. Yeah, it's certainly wide open between a few teams there. You mentioned Napoli. That game, uh, just for people who like football minutia, uh, had a goal in the 100th minute. It, we got to triple digits. So we you know did. something weird's happened when that happens, and uh, I think it was the red card in the 95th minute that ended up yeah. elongating uh, <laughs> that stoppage yeah. time. But Andrea Patania scoring the rare 100th minute, minute goal. goal. Yeah, and um, for those, obviously, as well, if you want to have a look at you know interesting red cards, just go and have a look at Teo Hernandez's red card in the <laughs> derby. The most professional red card you'll ever see in the last 20 seconds, just chopping Denzel Dumfrey, who have been going at each other all day, just getting all his frustration out. And then at the final whistle, if you want to have a look at this on Twitter, go and suss the, the sideline fracker between some of the Milan and Inter officials when Teo Hernandez was coming off and the Milan fans were celebrating. There was a guy in a wheelchair that was trying to get involved as well. <laughs> so you see this whole fracker involved, and this guy just comes wheeling in, and you're like, Jesus, like everyone's getting involved. Like It was unbelievable. And, you know, you see Pioli, he's right on the field to celebrate with his team. Then you see him detour and like 180 and go, oh, my God, Tara's in trouble. There's like five Inter guys that are about to you know, potentially hit him. So he's coming in there, dragging each other out. Yeah, it was the guy in the wheelchair, the guy that Teo Hernandez just tackled? or uh, No. Because no, that was not. a vicious foul. Yeah. Professional is one word for it. Cynical is maybe another. <laughs> yeah. Brutal, a third. And... um. Also, if you like a bit of pettiness, go and suss Arturo Vidal's Instagram story. He posted oh. the Serie A title, uh, sort of the standings at the moment, and just said, Buona notte. So no more meetings between Milan and Inter in the league. They might meet in the cup, but not in the league. We can only hope. I want to see, I think they're on the same side of the draw, so I want to see another meeting in the semis because they'll play two legs, and mm. that will be fun. So keep the, an eye the, on that. The Milan quadrilogy. I can't wait. I cannot wait for that as well. Let's take a break, Josh. Other side of this, AFCON and La Liga. Don't go anywhere.